0: You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman.
1: Welcome back. It's part two of our post-debate analysis of the Democratic field. Here with Joe Hill, Caitlin Martin, and Jamie Ansorge. And uh, guys, uh, policy interesting policy debates on Tuesday night, healthcare, technology, foreign policy, guns. We already touched on some of that in part one of, of our analysis, but let's um, let's break it down a little bit further. Healthcare. It seemed like the defining issue was Medicare for all versus um, Medicare for all who want it. And most particularly how do we pay for it the field uh, the moderates in the field went after elizabeth warren big time on raising taxes bernie sanders admitted he he'd raised taxes what do you make of the healthcare care debate because in 2018 in the congressional elections 2017 in the virginia state elections those In the big elections we've had in the last couple of years, healthcare has been the number one issue. So what do you make of the healthcare debate, Jamie?
2: I mean, I think that for, you know, the American people, what they're going to take away is that the Democratic Party has spent all of their debates trying to figure out how to increase healthcare coverage for them. And they're arguing about how to do it. So I think on the whole, that's a positive. And I think, you know, Warren in particular is trying to be very careful not to cut the attack ad for Trump, you know, making it clear that, you know, without saying that taxes will go up. The important thing is that in the end, you know, costs and the bottom line will be better for the average American. I think it's frustrating and people are hitting her on the fact that she's not answering it clearly, but it's also smart that she's not delivering that attack ad to her opponents.
0: Yeah, so what do you think? I, I I agree. I mean, I think I think that it's very smart. I I'm wondering how long it's going to last. I don't I watched her post debate interview on CNN um after the debate and and they still couldn't nail her down on uh whether uh you know taxes would would be increased. I mean, she she implied it in her answer. Um, you know, she's she's being clear that when it comes to costs, the you know, costs will go down on average, but you know, the fact that she still hasn't been able to to answer it, yes or no, and no one's been able to nail her down on it, I just don't know how sustainable that is. And if she does make it through the whole primary without answering that question, uh, as a political person, kudos to her for being able to, to navigate that.
1: I thought it was really interesting. I think it was Buttigieg said, look, we're going to need so much healing as a country after Trump. The last thing that we should do... Is take up the most divisive policy issue and put that in front of the American people. That made a lot of sense to me, Caitlin. What do you What do you think about that?
3: I I agreed, and I I, th- I Joe Biden got a good line in there about you know look he made strides working with Obama on the Affordable Care Act, and the plan put forth by Elizabeth Warren is set to cost three hundred or thirty trillion over ten years, more than the federal budget. So. I think it's fundamentally dishonest for these candidates to get on stage and come out with, again, these bumper sticker policies of Medicare for all free tuition for all and not get asked the tough questions about where, who's paying for this. This is not all free.
1: Even more deeply than that though, from a political point of view, Buttigieg is right. I mean, if a Democrat is able to beat Donald Trump in 2020, you know, we can't, um, we, we almost can't afford as a country to swing so far to the opposite end of the spectrum. Um, you know, look how, I know that healthcare now is a positive political issue for the Democrats, but it was a very negative issue for Obama after he passed the Affordable Care Act, after after it was signed into law. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of whoever is in power um, is blamed for whatever gets done with healthcare, care. And it just, I, I, it resonated with me as somebody who has worked for both Republicans and Democrats. It just, it resonated with me when a couple of the candidates pointed out that the country can't bear that kind of a political fight after after Trump. I thought that made a lot of sense. And that's the kind of thing that people in the middle... That are going to really decide this election need i think that they need to hear
2: i mean obama used every ounce of political capital he had to get the affordable care act passed and you know now it's become popular um though it's been undermined at every turn by you know the republican party but if you do have a democrat in who can build upon obamacare the affordable care act you know I think you're right that whoever if someone were going to come in and try and change everything again it's going to bog down the conversation for forever the way it has in the past and you won't get anything else done
1: look as we said earlier anybody coming in post trump is going to be a radical departure from trump any of those candidates way up to and including biden i mean he's not he's a moderate in the relative scheme of things but he's not just because he can work across the aisle with Republicans doesn't make him a moderate. He's not a moderate. He's a liberal guy. And any, any person on that stage is going to use their executive power, their regulatory power to shift the, the um, laws and regulations of, of the country. And we see it every day. I mean, it's very powerful, but being not being attuned to that, on a political level. And I understand they're running for the Democratic nomination right now. They're not running in the general, and they're certainly not governing. And we know they all say things that they know aren't true, but it's just, it's so divisive. And I don't think it's not what the country needs. So my two cents. Um, let's talk technology. Big topic last night. Joe. What do you think about the the dialogue around big technology? Yeah, I, I thought um,
0: the 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 exchange between Kamala and Elizabeth Warren on censoring or taking away Donald Trump's uh, Twitter account was really bizarre. I thought it kind of highlighted uh, one of you know some of the challenges Kamala has had thus far. Uh, you know, she, she leans in really heavily on a, on a kind of pre-practice, uh, line of questioning that just doesn't really land. Um, and I thought Elizabeth Warren managed it as a front runner would, um, in terms of just not really acknowledging it and pivoting to the, to the broader issue of the fact that, you know, it is true that, you know, Amazon and, and Facebook and these big tech companies, do dominate the market. And, you know, I thought Beto raised an interesting point, um, you know, around how these different companies are regulated. Uh, and I, I just, I thought it was a, a really interesting exchange, but I think Kamala really missed the mark when she talked about, you know, censoring uh, Trump's Twitter account.
3: Yeah, it was President really, of the United States.
0: Uh, I just thought it was a really strange exchange. It was weird. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And she doubled down on it a few times. She didn't let that of it. It made it her up. look
2: small, like she was right. missing the bigger point. Meanwhile, exactly. Warren very effectively positioned herself as the, you know, fighter for consumers against yes. big tech. And she had been, she's been doing it for the weeks leading up to the debate um, with her ads on Facebook. And, you know, I thought her, um, you know, baseball analogy was decent in terms of, you know, the, the, the anti-competitive nature. It was good. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty good. She was doing something weird with her hands during it. Um, but, uh, but no, I think she definitely, you know, scored the most points on that topic.
1: But the thing is when she made the baseball analogy, I had to quickly switch over to check out the Nats game, which was in like the fifth (laughs) inning. So kind of distracted me. it? It was like you get to be the umpire or be on a team.
0: You can't do both. Exactly. I think that, that was she reminded
2: yeah. everyone there was a baseball yes. game on. <laughs>
0: right. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, foreign and, policy.
1: We touched on it a bit earlier. It seemed to me like everybody was critical. Most people were critical of of Trump and and focused on the Syria, what's going on in Syria. But I didn't hear a ton of uh, their own thoughts about what what they would do from a po- foreign policy point of view. Caitlin, what What's your What's your take?
3: I think one of my biggest concerns with a lot of we, we're not talking about national security. We're not talking about defeating terrorism abroad. Um, I thought it was kind of ironic that this is a Democratic primary debate with you know twelve very progressive folks on stage, and I felt like um, there were some very hawkish positions taken, which I thought was kind of ironic. Um, I I think that there's a lot of agreement on on the Syria issue, but I just thought it was interesting that we we spoke at length about that but candidates didn't really get into other issues they didn't talk about china they didn't talk about um america's position positioning abroad and i think those were missed opportunities i'd like to see a debate more focused on those critical issues that a commander-in-chief is going to grapple with every day
0: no I, i i agree with that um you know i think that if there were a major foreign policy event that took place you know, over the next several months or or leading up to the election, not going what it doesn't, you know, I I think the dynamics of the race change. Um, I think that was the one area where Warren wasn't altogether comfortable. Um, It was the one time I noticed where she just seemed like she, she didn't have a complete grasp. I thought Mayor Pete was really effective um, and gave, you know, as I mentioned before, a very impassioned, you know, defense on, on America's role in the world broadly. I, you know, but also, as Caitlin mentioned, it was really interesting to me to see in a Democratic primary, everyone taking these really, you know, pro-interventionist kind of positions and Tulsi, yeah, being the, being the one now, candidate Joe. saying, hey, wait a minute, weren't we all against regime change not too long ago? Um, I thought that that was just a a really interesting exchange and it just shows how how far we've come um You know as a party and how much things have have changed in general yeah
1: just go ahead jamie
2: well no you know the middle east is complicated and you saw some of the candidates even getting lost in the complexity you know biden saying i think iraq when he meant afghanistan and tulsi but you know and there was a major foreign policy event this week i mean the kurds have been our strongest ally in the thick of things in the fight against the war on terror for two decades and Trump had, you know, his his action has left them for slaughter. And you have seen hundreds of ISIS uh, detainees being released into a power vacuum in the middle of the middle east. and i don't I don't think that was explained well by by many of the candidates. I thought, you know pete was was the best. Um, but, you know, I think there's a strong case to be made to the American people that the Democrats would not allow isis to uh regain a stronghold in the middle east and that's what we're seeing this week
1: made it through almost uh we made it through the whole part one of our podcast half of part two of the podcast and we haven't mentioned the word with the big the big i word impeachment which was the very first question how did you all think that they handled the impeachment question Everybody's pausing. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I think if, you know, depending on how long this drags out, if impeachment continues to be the the the, the big theme and corruption in general is the theme that, um, you know, the candidates are debating about, uh, I think that plays right into to Warren's wheelhouse in a sense. Um, I think, you know, she has been able to, to figure out a way to, to tie this impeachment to you know cor- the idea of corruption more broadly, which I think is interesting. The other thing that I think um, was was a little odd to watch was I guess the difference between Booker's approach and Kamala's approach uh, in the in the opening. You know, Kamala, of course, as a as a former prosecutor, was very aggressive uh, on, on the impeachment front, whereas Booker had this kind of vague you know we need to unify we need to do this the right way and i i wasn't exactly sure what what his point was beyond the fact that we shouldn't be as divided as we are um you know so i think just in terms of the spectrum from from booker to kamala um you know it'll it'll be interesting to see if this kind of drags out throughout the whole primary and we continue to hit on these this broader theme of corruption
1: yeah, I guess to me, again, trying to think about the, you know, the person who can go in a number of different directions, you know, that voter in um, in suburban America who can pull the lever for an R or a D. It, like, why did Elizabeth Warren start out by talking about the Mueller report? That's frankly yesterday's news I I was struck by struck by that I think to me like obviously they want to make the case that he's corrupt and we've talked on our podcast previously about the bad judgment inherent in um, the dialogue around Ukraine but there's an element of this these guys have to play long ball this is not just about winning the democratic nomination it's about winning the it's about winning the general and yeah you can kind of tilt the conversation once you get the nod but i don't know i i just think you gotta pull the people it's not the howard schweitzers but it's the pennsylvania michigan wisconsin florida voters who can go either way who Decided 2016 and are going to decide 2020, and they don't want. I I think they don't care about this as much as we do on the East Coast or even on the West Coast. I I I spent some time this week clicking around. I looked at the Washington Post and the New York Times, and then I clicked around to the the news in Seattle and the news in even L.A and the news in Chicago and what's on the front pages of those papers and it's radically different from what's on the front page of the new york times people just don't care as much and i think it's really dangerous to double down on impeachment rather than taking the position that the house should go through a process They should follow a process and gather the facts and make their case and vote and send it to the Senate and the Senate should make it. I mean, everybody knows it's political, but there's a certain, I think, something you buy yourself by saying kind of let the facts play out and speak.
2: And I just feel like it doesn't do anyone any good to be bogged down in questions of process. I mean, the American people don't care as much. I mean, I think the more these candidates can focus on what is the conduct that's in question and take that case to the American people? The more effective impeachment's gonna be, and the more effective the case against Donald Trump will be. You know, there's so much talk about process and inquiry and and subpoenas. You know, meanwhile, no one's talking about, you know, that Giuliani had lunch with two Ukraine associates that were arrested the other day. I mean, that wasn't mentioned. So the more there's discussion of the conduct, I think, the better, and the less about process, which the American people don't particularly care about.
1: Well right. I guess I'm disagreeing with that a little bit, Jamie, because I don't think the voter in Wisconsin really cares. I Who think Giuliani they care. had lunch
3: with yesterday? No, I don't think they do either. Say that <laughs> again, <laughs> Caitlin? Who Giuliani had lunch with yesterday? No, I don't think they care about that either. Right.
1: It's like th- they care about their wallet. Mm-hmm. And they care about being able to go hunting. And they care about how they're going to put food on the table. I think they care about their privacy. They care about some things, but I think, I just don't think they care. The person that's going to decide this election, I don't think they care that much about the Ukraine call. I just don't. I do think at a broad level
0: voters, you know, even your swing voters in, in Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania do care on some level about corruption broadly. And I think to the extent that a candidate can make a case that the corruption that's taking place, not just Ukraine, not just, you know, the Mueller report, but, you know, the the rampant corruption, the legal corruption and the illegal corruption ties into why it's, you know, harder for you to, to make the rent, why it's harder for you to pay your bills, you know, all the different implications of, you know, uh, of, of corruption taking place in Washington and, and, you know, all over the country, I think that's a winning message. Um, but you know, we, the candidate needs to be able to make that connection to those pocketbook issues and not just focus on, you know, mm-hmm. obscure facts about who did what with who at what
2: point. I mm-hmm. wanted Trump's most, you know, effective messages was drain the swamp. Drain the swamp exactly. And if there's some way to flip that, and that's what I'm saying is that I don't think any of the candidates have successfully, flip that narrative against Trump but I feel like that is a key message.
1: By the way, by you have to ask about impeachment obviously. It has to be discussed. It's an enormous issue. But on some level they are playing Trump's game. They're playing his game. I mean, they're doing he's accomplishing his objective by inserting Hunter Biden into the democratic primary debate he's winning yeah
3: And the more yeah. they talk about it the more i think it hurts joe biden because you know we all probably saw that sort of awkwardly timed hunter biden interview that came out yesterday and and on this issue of draining the swamp there is a question why would the vice president's son be sitting on these corporate boards of a ukrainian gas company and getting special treatment on am on amtrak boards and you know I understand that you can say certain things about the role of family in this administration, but I think that the more we continue to talk about impeachment, it's, it's hurting Joe Biden. And I think it, it is sort of playing into Trump's hand.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm really surprised Biden didn't, wasn't prepared with a better response to the question of, well, Terrible. if it's wrong now, why wasn't it wrong then? And he said, oh, it's about Trump, but that's not going to that's not a real argument. That's going to be able to stand the test of time. Um, and Trump is going to draw out the the equivalency, the equivalency, even though I think it's false. It's the, the level of corruption is, is is it's a lot different. But, you know, is effectively um,
2: neutralized Biden's it, ability to prosecute him on that issue. Yeah, he's going to need an answer for that.
0: That's that's more than actually look at Trump over there. Don't look at me. I mean, mm-hmm. that doesn't work.
1: So the betting markets to transition back to polls and politics and well, betting, uh, the betting markets have worn ahead by over 30%. She's 30% more likely to be elected president of the United States, according to the betting markets than any, but then to get the nomination rather than anybody else, it isn't even close. So what did we learn last night that shrinks or expands that margin? what, you know, is she more or less likely to be elected president or to be um nominated to be the Democratic candidate than she was uh before last night? Joe. You
0: know, I'd be interested in seeing, you know, some of the some of the results of the polling that took place post-debate and seeing, you know, who uh who was watching the debate um to kind of make a judgment there. Uh but overall, I think the fact that she was able uh, to fend off most of the attacks, um, and you know to respond in kind, you know make it more likely, um, you know in my in my view that she's going to be the nominee. I mean, she's been able to build a a pretty diverse coalition um, of voters, kind of across the the Democratic progressive spectrum, um, and she's been you know she's been moving up slowly but surely, which is a good place to be. Uh, There haven't been a lot of spikes in terms of where she is uh, in terms of polling. So, you know, I think the way she she handled herself last night, um, she looked prepared. She looked ready um, and she was very artful and and careful in a lot of her responses to questions that, that, you know, make me believe that she's in it for the long haul and it's going to be
2: tough to derail her. Jamie. I completely agree with everything Joe said. I mean, I think she has come across as battle-tested, as tough, um, and as, you know, able to be the front-runner and parry attacks. She doesn't have much baggage, you know, to really go after, and uh, unless there's something that we haven't heard. Um, and, you know, look, as someone who was deeply in the Hillary camp in 2016, but has friends who are deeply in the Bernie camp, you know, Warren is really the only, literally, in the entire field, maybe the only candidate that's palatable to both, you know, wings in quotation marks of the Democratic Party. And I think that makes her the, you know, the the person to beat. Um, and that, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire are two states that I think will be very friendly to her. And if she wins one or both of those, um, you know, that could be it. But, you know, rumors of Bernie's demise have been greatly exaggerated. Uh, you know, there's news of uh, Ocasio-Cortez, uh, and and some of her colleagues uh, endorsing Bernie this weekend. And so, you know, it sounds like his him and and the people that follow him are not quite ready to get on the Warren bandwagon, but I, I do think Warren is the person to beat.
1: Caitlin?
3: Let's just say I look forward to that general election debate. Um, I think if Elizabeth Warren is the candidate, Trump slides to victory for re-election, and I think it's by a significant margin. I'll just leave it there.
1: She's, I mean, I look, she's divisive. And at the end of the day, as Mark always says, it's a binary choice. When you, when it comes down to the general, it's, it's basically between two people and and maybe some fringe candidates, but it's basically between two people. And I don't understand why I get, she has a star quality about her. She's she's a compelling political figure. She's a compelling public figure. She, has a strong voice, and she has a consistent message and I get the appeal of that. I just don't understand myself why the Democratic Party would put forward somebody who is less likely to win head i think less likely to win head to head against Trump than some than somebody more moderate, somebody more appealing to the Pennsylvania michigan wisconsin voters from a values point of view i don't get it
2: and you know that's the battle for this whole the party right now is not just where we are on the ideological divide but you know how how much we want to pick our candidate based off who we think is going to do well you know in a general versus who do you believe in and that's kind of where we we started this conversation and you know i obviously come from the field of you know i like to look at the polls and you know, I, I see that Biden outperforms Warren in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and that's all that matters to me because I just want to win. But for the average voter, a lot of them are still values and morally driven when they enter the ballot box and they're, they don't care about polls. If I had a nickel for every time one of my Bernie friends said, I don't believe in polls, I don't care about polls. I know what I hear on the ground when I knock doors and that's what they're going off. of.
1: I just, I think. The people that voted in Western Pennsylvania for Connor Lamb a couple of years ago in his special election victory—he's a Democrat. I, they're I just—I don't see those people voting for Elizabeth Warren, but I do see them voting for an Amy Klobuchar. I see them maybe voting for a Buttigieg. I don't see them voting for Elizabeth Warren.
0: I think ultimately the issue, though, is. You know, if you put a candidate in, if you if you make a candidate in a lab and they're moderate and they can appeal to these voters, then most voters would go to them. Because I do think that the ultimate consideration is who can beat Trump. The problem is the options that we have currently. I mean, I think Biden is fading and he's slowing down. I think most people want to support Biden, but they don't think he'll have the the energy long term to compete against him. And I think the jury's still out on Amy Klobuchar. I mean, she's just started to pop um, last night and over the past week. So we'll see.
2: I mean, she hasn't been registering at all in Iowa, um, unfortunately, Klobuchar. And Warren, you know, has an authentic populist flair to her that when you put her in rooms full of white working class people in the Midwest and not places like Iowa, she's excellent and people love her. You know, I'm worried about her ability to excite some young people and communities of color, but in terms of winning back the white working class, I do think she is very good Um, especially when she gets in front of people, it's hard not to like her.
1: She's also got it, you know, her own age issue, by the way, she's not a spring chicken. They asked her about that. They all answered
2: the age issue very well, though. Yeah. They kind of
1: ignored it, kind of ignored it. Okay. Well, this has been a great discussion. Thanks everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks to Jamie and Joe and Caitlin, and we'll be back next week with another episode, but really appreciate you listening and uh, look forward to continuing the dialogue as the 2020 election rolls forward. Thanks. Thanks,
3: Thanks, Howard. Howard.
0: Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.